I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. We're glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. And one of the elders mentioned before the service started that the race, you know, it'll be on TV. It's not blacked out this year, and it starts kind of early, so I might want to be aware of the time. So I will do my best to be aware of the time. They were kidding, of course, but I'm not kidding. You won't be here forever. So we certainly want to welcome you here this Sunday. We also want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. Especially for those of you who may have friends, may have family members, uh, of those who have given so much uh, for us to have the freedom to come and worship uh, without fear, uh, without significant danger from those who oppose the cause of Christ. Uh, we are very grateful for Memorial Day, for Mitchell being home, and for everyone else who has served our country. Now this morning we start a new sermon series discussing what it will look like to follow Christ in some very practical areas of life. And when you hear that at first, you think, okay, that sounds pretty simple. That is until you consider how quickly our world is changing. I mean, think about it. We're roughly 2,000 years removed from Jesus's earthly ministry. Roughly 2,000 years removed from the writing of the New Testament. And so when you consider how much time has passed, we have to ask ourselves, well, what does it look like to live as God's people in a world that is so different now than it was in 30 A.D. Now, specifically this morning, I want to spend some time talking about technology. Now, that might sound kind of strange for a sermon, right? But technology is what makes life so much different now compared to back then. If you think about it, there are problems that the earliest Christians had to consider, they had to deal with, that we never, ever have to think about. You and I, thanks to technological advancement in our world, we don't have to worry about where we're going to find clean drinking water or how to dispose of our waste so that our homes don't become ripe for disease or how to share an urgent message with someone 500 miles away. Now, on a quick side note, there are, of course, people who still deal with all of those problems in places different than ours. So we should certainly count ourselves blessed that we live when and where We do. But on top of that, there are problems that we have to deal with that the earliest Christians would have been completely foreign to. Because we've become so dependent upon technology, the electricity going out is a big issue for us. Because of our dependence upon technology, there are things that the earliest Christians knew how to do that we wouldn't know how to do if our survival depended on it. The point is that in a setting that is so vastly different from the world in which the first Christians walked, we as followers of Christ have a complicated question to think about. The question is, how do we apply biblical teaching and practice in our world today? Now, because of how quickly the world is changing and has changed and surely will continue to change until Christ returns... That's a question that every generation of Christians must consider. Every generation of Christians must ask themselves what it looks like for them to live as God's people in the context that God has placed them in. Now, we might not all come to the same conclusions about this question. Some would argue that when it comes to technology, that Christians should actively resist all forms of modern technology out of faithfulness to Christ. Meanwhile, other Christians seem to accept whatever technological trends and advances the world throws at them without so much as a second thought. 
But one thing we should all agree on is that it will require both humility and discernment for us to discover what it looks like for us to live as God's people in this ever-changing world. If nothing else, this morning my goal is to get us thinking about what author Tim Challies calls a theology of technology. His idea is that we all have experiences with technology, both good and bad. We all have theories of technology, the potential strengths, the potential weaknesses that it brings about. But the goal this morning is to get us thinking theologically about this technological world that we live in. One of my convictions is that there are aspects of life that we should think about theologically that we don't think about theologically. This is one of those areas. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, this will be found on page 655. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one home with you when you leave today. But before we do any reading, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, again, we are grateful to live where we live and to live when we live. Uh, we have so many luxuries and so many blessings that other people in this world right now and other people in the past would be absolutely in awe of. And so many of these things that you've given us are absolute gifts that can be used for your glory, can be used for the spread of the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would use these opportunities well. Thank you for Memorial Day, those people who have sacrificed their lives for us, that we might worship you freely. But thank you also for the ultimate sacrifice that was offered on the cross, that, that makes all other sacrifices, quite frankly, pale in comparison. Thank you for your son, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. We are so grateful that he gives us freedom, not just in this life, but he gives us freedom and forgiveness and reconciliation in eternity as well. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Starting in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I bet I know what you're thinking after reading Romans 12, 1 and 2. You might be thinking that these two verses that are so great that many of us know so well that maybe you've even memorized, as great as they are, what in the world does that have to do with technology? Well, again, to be honest, nothing specifically. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, they do give us a good summary of what the Christian life is really all about. Everything that Paul has read, written rather, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, all of that stuff has led up to this. Chapter 12, 1 and 2. And as we've said in the past, any time you read the word therefore in Scripture, which you see in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, it's a good practice to ask what it's there for. Well, earlier in this letter, Paul talked about some massive theological themes. For example, in Romans chapter 12, chapters 1 through 11, Paul talks about themes like the universal problem of sin. 
that sin reaches and affects every single human being. Jew, Gentile, old, young, people back then and people today, every single human being has a problem of sin that must be addressed. Paul talked about the well-deserved punishment for sin. He says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all forms of ungodliness. That sin must be punished or else God is not God. He's talked about God's faithfulness to his chosen people in the past out of his grace. He's talked about God's desire for his people to have faith like Abraham held up as this example of faith. He's talked about God's ultimate solution to the problem of sin, which is not Abraham, which is not the people Israel, which is not the law. The ultimate solution to this problem of sin is Christ himself, his body broken, his blood shed on the cross. Paul's talked about the new life for those who have faith in Christ, that they can now walk in step with the spirit rather than walking in step with their flesh. And he's also talked about God's power and glory seen in this massive plan that's borderline difficult to wrap our minds around. This plan to reconcile sinners to himself out of his grace. So after all this heavy, weighty theological stuff in chapters 1 through 11, Paul's now looking at the Romans and saying, "Okay, now that you've got that all under your belt, now that we're all on the same page about who God is and who we are and what he's done, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Okay, sounds simple enough, right? Offer our whole lives to God. Follow Christ. Got it. Sounds good. But again. Let's go back to that original question. What does that look like practically for us living in a world that is so much different from Paul's? Now, Paul does give some guidance in the verses following chapter 12. He talks about the attitudes of humility and living in unity with fellow believers, using our God given gifts to advance the church and to build up our fellow believers to honor God in the process He's talked about love and joy and patience and perseverance and prayer and charity. All of these good, beautiful, nice sounding virtues. But again, what do all of those things look like in our world today? Now, Paul does tell us what giving our whole lives to God, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. He does tell us what it doesn't look like. He says it certainly does not look like conforming to this world. Simply, those who offer their bodies as living sacrifices to God cannot blindly accept whatever our world throws at us in the name of progress or advancement. We can't just swallow whole whatever the world puts in front of us because Paul tells us not to be conformed to this world. That means there are some things that followers of Christ, God's people, should intentionally reject in the name of offering our bodies to God as living sacrifices, our acts, our lives of worship. So instead of being conformed, Paul tells us to be transformed, to have our minds renewed, to be completely different, that we might please and discern the will of God. Of God, in order that we might offer our lives to Him in the manner that He sees fit. 
Now, this transformation, this renewal, it's not something that we do to ourselves. It's not just forcing ourselves to think differently. It's not just developing different habits. It's not just behavior modification like Pavlov's dog. It's something far deeper that God himself brings about in our hearts and in our minds. This transformation, this renewal that Paul speaks of is made possible by the Holy Spirit that God gives us. The word of God that we can read. Those are the resources that God gives us to accomplish this work, this transformation, this renewal, that we might discern what the will of the Lord is, how to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in a manner that pleases him, in a manner that is holy and acceptable. So you put this all together, knowing what we know about God, knowing what we know about ourselves, seeking to discern what the will of the Lord is, the way Paul puts it, how to offer our lives to him. The question then becomes, okay, where the rubber meets the road, how then should we live? And bringing it back to that theme of technology, what parts of our technologically advanced world should we maybe accept? And what parts should we maybe reject? How can we develop that theology of technology that we mentioned earlier. Well, first things first, we should acknowledge that technology affects all of us far deeper than any of us even fully realize. Maybe you've read study after study after study of how technology shortens our attention spans and weakens our memory and harms our ability to get good sleep and makes us less likely to take care of ourselves physically and countless other scary and terrible and disastrous things. Maybe you've read that stuff. Now, we should take those things very seriously, but we should also acknowledge that technology isn't all bad for our lives. In many ways, technological advancement has been an absolute blessing from God. Think about the world of medicine. Typically, people like us today living where we live and living when we live, we don't really have to worry about our kids being born with polio, do we? That's because of technological advancement. Think about the world of education. We have access to more information than we've ever had access to before. Convenience-wise, our lives, theoretically at least, should be generally easier now than they were a hundred years ago. Think about communication. Back in World War II, soldiers could not even fathom the idea of seeing their spouses, of seeing their kids on a screen and speaking with them in real time. But that happens all the time now. And that is a blessing from God. In the world of poverty issues, because of technological advancement, we should be able to clothe more naked people than we could before. Feed more hungry people than we could before. Provide roofs and walls for more homeless people than we could before. In the world of justice, it should be harder to get away with a crime today than it was a hundred years ago because we have DNA testing. And think about transportation. We can now go to places that we have never been able to go to before. We have access to all these things, all of these advancements, and we are incredibly blessed to have those things. They can be good gifts from God, and we absolutely shouldn't take them for granted. But at the same time, there's always a but, right? Well, unfortunately, like all good blessings and all good gifts from God, 
all of these wonderful technological advances that we've talked about so far, well, we're reminded that they've been given to fallen men, sinful men living in a fallen world. Because of that, these advances in technology can quickly become an idol that we serve in the place of God himself. Pastor Tim Keller refers to an idol as the one thing you can't imagine living without. For how many people in our culture, in our world, would the answer to that question be, well, I can't imagine living without my cell phone. Instead of using technology in ways that honor God, we make it into an idol. And sinful people like us can even harness it to feed our own rebellion. We can harness technology to feed our own greed, to feed our own desire for status, to feed that lie of our own self-sufficiency. We can turn it to an idol. We can use it to feed our sin. But on top of that, technology can do great harm to our relationships with God. I mean, think about it. Let's be honest. In the Bible, eternity in God's presence is repeatedly held out as this delayed reward for God's people. It's that reward we have to look forward to. It's that reward that spurs us on to faithfulness to Christ. It's something we have to look forward to, but we often have to wait far longer than we want to actually reach that reward. Well, how does that jive with the instant gratification that we all expect because of our technologically advanced world? People like us in 2016, most of us aren't used to waiting for anything. And yet this reward for the follower of Christ is something worth waiting for. In the Bible, we're challenged to be faithful followers of Christ through thick and thin, to keep our eyes focused on who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross. Well, how does that jive with our shortened attention spans where we can't seem to focus on anything for more than five seconds because of technological advancement? We read about the joy of prayer. We read about sitting in God's presence and speaking to him and listening to him. Yet we live in a world where we can't stand not having a distraction. There was an infamous study done by the University of Virginia where students were asked to choose between one of two things. They could either sit in a quiet room by themselves with no distractions, no books, no devices, just them and their thoughts. That's option number one. Or they could choose to give themselves electric shocks. Many students, a majority of students, chose to give themselves electric shocks rather than sit without any distractions. What does that say about our prayer lives? Are we able to pray or are we constantly looking for something to distract us, constantly looking for something else to do? John Piper writes, one of the great uses of social media will be to prove that our lack of prayer was not due to a lack of time. That one's rough, isn't it? That one hits you like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? Because if there's one great distraction in this world, it's social media. But how often these technological advances draw our eyes away from the one thing that truly matters in this life and in eternity, which, of course, is our relationship with the God who created us. But the allure of technology cannot just do harm to our relationship with God. It can do harm to our relationships with others. 
One of the latest technological advancements has been virtual reality, or VR for short. It's been around for a while, but now it's just kind of coming on in the consumer level. And why worry about living amongst fellow human beings created in God's image when you can escape to your own world by just putting on a headset, right? We read countless stories of Jesus healing and teaching and performing miracles to people he met along the road. And yet, how many ministry opportunities do we miss because we have our headphones in or our eyes are glued to our phones? So often, technology isolates us not only from God, but it isolates us from each other to where we don't know how to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't know how to talk to each other and how to pray for each other and how to sit and suffer with each other because we're too focused on technology and distractions. And of course, technology can make temptation that much more accessible. You know, at one time it took some effort to feed the sin of pornography. You'd have to put on a coat, pull down a hat, drive a little bit of a distance away to buy that video so that no one there would recognize you. Well, now all it takes is a few clicks on your laptop in the privacy of your own home and no one will ever know. At one time, it took some effort to go out and find soothing and contentment and joy through shopping and materialism and just buying more stuff. But now it only takes one click through Amazon Prime. The point is that technology, if we're honest about it, can do some profound harm in our lives, the lives and the bodies that we're called to offer to God as living sacrifices. While all of these technological advancements have brought about great good and we should thank God for them, we should also recognize that we're tempted to make them into an idol. We're tempted to use them to feed our sin. We're tempted to let them isolate us from our God and from our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so far, you might be thinking that I'm just the crotchety guy who is suggesting that we throw out all of our technology, right? Maybe the Amish are on to something, is what you're thinking. Well, before we go that far, allow me to suggest that it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all terrible news. We as followers of Christ can use technology in good ways, but it will require a certain attitude. It will require a certain humility and discernment. Maybe the kind of attitude that we see from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I want to revisit a few of those last words that Paul said in that passage. I have become all things to all people that by all means, whatever it takes, I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's the whole point. That's what it all comes back to. That I may share with them in its blessings. Now, in context, Paul is telling the Corinthians that he's willing to do all kinds of things to spread the good news of the gospel. And for Paul, if that means doing some things that he doesn't really want to do, so be it. If that means doing some things that technically he really shouldn't have to do, so be it. If that means giving up some things that honestly he really doesn't want to give up, so be it. We see that Paul had such tunnel vision on the gospel that everything in his life was filtered through and submitted to his calling, his identity, his mission to share the good news of Christ with more people. So how that comes back to us is that we shouldn't avoid technology. We shouldn't run away from it. But we must have that same attitude that Paul had. That we can take technological advancements that we have access to and we can submit them to the cause of Christ. We can filter them through our calling to live as God's people and to spread the gospel. And when we have this attitude, we might just find that technology can be harnessed for the spread of the gospel and for God's glory. I mean, think about it. It has never been easier to share the good news of Christ with more people in more places. It's never been easier than it is right now. We can reach people that we've never been able to reach before. We can share the gospel in innovative and creative ways that other generations could have only dreamed of. There are so many things that we can take from the technological advancements of our world and put it in the service of the gospel and put it in the service of God. But again... We should not trivialize the dangers. We are absolutely called to use discernment in what things we take and what things we leave behind. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree because the serpent told them that it would make them like God. Well, isn't that the promise of so much technology today? That the more progress we make, the more advanced we get, that we can become the masters of our own universe. We can become like God. We can become autonomous and independent and self-sufficient. It's ironic that one of the most recognizable symbols in the world today is from a company pushing the limits of consumer technology. And the logo is an apple with a bite taken out of it. Now, I say that as an Android user, but I'm just making a point, just making a point. In Genesis 11, another example, sinful men build the first city. Okay, the city, that is a massive technological achievement. That is a massive advancement. But in Genesis 11, they also decide to build a tower to make a name for themselves. I pray that we as God's people individually and that we as God's people as a church would use technology not just to feed the lie of self-sufficiency, not to try and become like God, not to somehow become masters of our own universe, not to just make a name for ourselves and feed our own egos, but to serve the cause of the gospel and to make the glories of God more known. In the 1800s, the world was changing at an incredibly fast rate, particularly the late 1800s. 
And because of how quickly the world was changing, because of how much technology was coming about, many people began to believe that technological advancement had the power to make the world into a utopia. Technological advancement was going to resolve all the problems of the world. It was going to make our world like heaven on earth. But it didn't take very long to see that technology couldn't offer the utopia that people hoped it would. There was a very rough wake-up call in the early 1900s that we refer to as World War I. That was a big wake-up call to people that no matter how advanced the world got, no matter how much technology came around, there would still be violence, there would still be evil, there would still be oppression, there would still be suffering, there would still be injustice, and you simply couldn't get rid of it through our own good ideas. Those people learned the hard way that technology simply can't offer salvation. It can't offer some utopian existence of joy and peace without any problems. And while our world is different in so many ways now than it was 2,000 years ago or even 100 years ago, it's not completely different. You see, some things are still the same. All that stuff in Romans chapters 1 through 11, all that stuff is still true. Men are still sinful. Sin still must be punished. Men still die. There is still a punishment for sin because God is still God. And you put it all together, and the truth is that men, no matter how advanced we might think we are, we still need a Savior. Because no technology can offer us the forgiveness of sins. It cannot offer us a kingdom where all the evil of the world is no more. It cannot solve the problem of death. And technology cannot fill the God-shaped hole in your heart and mind. Only Christ can offer those things. I pray that we as individuals and we as a church would use technology in good ways to honor God. That we would be grateful to God for it. But I also pray that we would flee from all the ways that it can drag us into sin, can become an idol that we worship, can drag us into isolation from God and from others, can feed the lie of our self-sufficiency. And I pray that every single one of us would remember that we are all in need of something that technology and advancement and progress simply can't offer. And that is a Lord and Savior. And the Lord and Savior that God offered 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem, that might have been 2,000 years ago, but that offer of salvation, that sacrifice, it's not outdated. It's not obsolete. It still applies today. And so I pray this morning we would use technology again in good ways to honor God, but that we would also keep in mind that the one thing that offers us hope and joy and peace and contentment and salvation in this life and in the next can't be bought at Best Buy. It's what Christ offered on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we live in a world that 
maybe has more distractions than ever. We have more things to look to, more bright, shiny objects to take our eyes away from you, to take our eyes away from each other, take our eyes away from the things that really matter. I pray that through the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, through the work that you're doing in us, in our hearts, and our minds, that transformation that's happening, that renewal that's happening, I pray that you would give us discernment. That we would focus on the things that matter, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Christ, that we would practice wisdom as we look at the world around us and try and discover how we can honor you in a world that is so much different from Paul's. I pray that everything we do, not just our view of technology, but our money, our time, our gifts, our physical strengths, all of those things, that everything would be submitted to the cause of Christ, to the cause of your gospel. Help us to do that, to have that discernment, but also just simply to actually do it. Sometimes we know what it looks like to obey you and please you and follow you and steps that we can take, but it's easier said than done. So, Father, I pray that we would simply submit ourselves to you. Again, there are so many things in this world that look to enslave us, that can enslave us, but Paul also tells us in Romans that we will find freedom, as strange as it sounds, by being your slaves, by being your servants, by being your children. So, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us, who is not outdated, who is not obsolete, who is still Savior and is still Lord and will continue to be Savior and Lord no matter how much progress we make or how advanced we think we are. We love you. We're thankful for his once and for all eternal sacrifice for our sins. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, if you have not yet begun to follow Christ, I pray that you would talk to one of our elders. They'll be happy to pray with you, happy to answer your questions, happy to do whatever it is that you need to do uh, to make those next steps as a follower of Christ. So take that opportunity as we begin this last song. Again, we're very grateful for you being here this morning. Hope you have a happy Memorial Day. Be safe, have fun, and we look forward to seeing you next week.